Turn with me, if you would, to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, is, it's a question that Jesus asks, and uh, that's going to be our, our beginning scripture for the day. Before we read that scripture, though, and see what Jesus asks us, this is what I want to tell you, because everything that we're going to talk about today is predicated uh, on this right here, that we can't do enough good things or bad things that dictate whether or not we're a Christian. But being a Christian will dictate the things that we do in our life. So what does that mean? That means that there's nothing bad enough you can do to separate yourself from God that he won't forgive you. And there's also not enough good things that you can do to earn salvation into the kingdom of heaven. Just not enough that we can do. And that also means that through the grace and goodness of Jesus and that relationship that we have with him, he can change us and cause us to just be better people, to be the people that God intended us to be, amen? So as we talk about all the things we're gonna talk about today, we have to understand that first, that as Christians, we're able to change the things that we do because of who Jesus is, not who we are. So in Matthew chapter six and verse 27, Jesus asks us this question. So which one of you, by worrying, could add anything to your life? Just think about that for a moment. How many times have we worried and worried and worried about something that never happened? Has anybody ever worried and that fixed the situation that you were concerned about? And so please stand up this morning and raise your hand and tell us the secret. Of course not, right? Have any of you ever worried about anything and it made the problem worse? Or you got yourself worked up for no reason at all, right? And that's typically what happens. Typically, we get ourselves worked up for no reason at all because we're worrying about things that we cannot control. That's what Jesus is saying. Which one of you by worrying can add anything to your life? You can't add anything to your life by worrying. That's not the system by which our God works. Worry is the enemy of progress because when you don't get out of your own head and you're worried about something that may happen, you do nothing because you freeze, then you're worried. Or if you do end up doing something, usually it sends you backwards because you're operating in fear and not in faith. So Jesus asked us this question today and we, and we have to ask the same question of ourselves. Why wouldn't we ask ourselves the question that Jesus asked us? By worrying, what could we add to our life? Turn with me, if you would, to the next scripture, which is gonna be in Philippians chapter three. And while you're going there, I want you to know that our lives can be controlled by things that we have no control over. Our lives can be controlled by things that we have no control over. That's a complete lose-lose situation. When we're letting us ourselves be controlled by something that we can't impact, that we can't control. And over 99% of the things that happen in our lives every day, we have no control over those things. Somebody called me uh, two or three weeks ago and uh, they were concerned about this thing happening with uh, Russia and Ukraine whenever all of that started. And they were like, what happens if World War III breaks out and they start launching nukes, what's gonna happen? And I said, well, physically, I, 
you know, I can't tell you what's going to happen, um, but I'm pretty sure it's going to be catastrophic to all of mankind. You know, if nuclear bombs start hitting in every continent, uh, we're going to have trouble. Not a lot of people are going to be left, right? Just the cockroaches and macaroni and cheese uh, is going to be left. And they were really concerned about something that they can't control. I said, but I don't see any of that stuff in the word of God. It doesn't talk about any kind of nuclear disaster or something that wipes out 90% of the people in one fell swoop. And if it does happen, we don't have any control over that. Other people do right now, but we don't. So you just have to trust God in that situation. But they were really worked up. Shortly after that, um, a few days later, I got a call uh, one morning from my daughter, and uh, she called me, and she was in tears. She was crying. Uh, thank God that uh, kids always need their parents. Uh, it's, you know, it's not always fun when your kids come to you when they're in trouble, but thank God they come to you when they're in trouble, right? Because you get to be the one to be there and, and help them and encourage them. And what had happened was she was on her way to work, and she never takes the back roads. <clears throat> she lives in the Dallas area. She always takes... Uh, the main roads because she doesn't like driving on the back roads because they're pretty rough. And, and, uh, but there was a, a big um, traffic jam and so she wasn't gonna make it to work on time. So she decided to take the back roads the other morning. Whenever she did, uh, she hit a hole in the road which was very close to the side of the road. And when she did, that hole caused her to clip a tree on the side of where she was. And then she crossed over the road and hit head on the concrete barrier that is holding a bridge. And she hit that thing head on. And so, you know, she had just dropped my grandkids off uh, on her way to work, so uh, she was okay, so nobody was hurt. Uh, in the moment, I wasn't concerned about it. I just encouraged her and reminded her how much Jesus loves her and that her angels are with her every day and, you know, all the things that good Christian parents are supposed to tell their kids, right, and remind them of, and I said all of those things. And then at three o'clock in the morning uh, that night, I woke up uh, from a bad dream that uh, things were happening to some other of my family members in car accidents. And the enemy was trying to bring worry into my life. Like I wasn't concerned at the moment, but he brought a more opportune uh, moment to me when I was tired and relaxed and in the middle of sleep. And he tried to bring some worry into my life. And so when I woke up, I didn't quote any scripture. I didn't do anything like that. I just started saying, no in Jesus' name. No in Jesus' name. Very quietly to myself, I just said it. No in Jesus' name. Took authority over it, meditated on the word, and went back to sleep. But I was at a crossroads, and it got me to thinking about how often things happen or things that don't happen that I concern myself with, that I can do absolutely nothing about, right? Thank God that he's a better dad and a more capable dad than I am because I couldn't protect my daughter in that situation. But he could and he did. Amen? And so, but many times, you know, we'll lay awake at night and we'll be concerned about paying this bill or making that decision. You know, so many things come to play in our lives, but most of the time, guys, there's nothing that in our control we can do anything about that. God can, we know that, and there's all the cute Christian sayings, you know, let go and let God. But it's a lot easier to say let go and let God than it is to actually let go, right, and trust God. Because we find ourselves in our own humanity and in our own flesh being like, 
but I have to try to do something about that. And by nature, my personality finds things to fix. And sometimes when things aren't broken, I'll break something to fix it. Not intentionally, but it happens. Some of you understand that because you're like that, and then the rest of you are like, man, that's crazy. But I've come to terms with it. The good parts about that and the bad parts about it. And then he was trying to hit on the bad parts of that the other night. And so, you know, bringing these thoughts of worry and concern about people that I love and care about that are far away from me, and uh, I just can't let myself be controlled by those things if I want to be productive. What good would I have been if I'd have been up all night, worried about all of that, tired coming into work the next day, concerned about what's happening with this person or that person, it could have completely wrecked me. And many times we're controlled by things that we can't control. And it's a lose-lose situation. It's a lose-lose situation like when your wife asks if these pants make her rear end look big. Lose-lose situation, right? And it's even more complicated nowadays in the, in the times of Zumba classes and booty camps. Because now you don't know if you're supposed to answer yes or no. Right? Like, well, do I answer yes to that? Am I going to be in trouble? Or do I answer no to that? Am I going to be in trouble? So, guys, the best advice is you just keep your mouth shut and turn around and walk away. And keep walking fast. Get in your car. Go to the nearest place where you can get a cup of coffee and wait it out. No, that's not good advice. But we put ourselves in lose-lose situations like that sometimes. And... We don't need to do that to ourselves. God doesn't put us in lose-lose situations. We do. And the enemy tries to, right? Turn with me, if you would, to Philippians chapter 3. Did you guys already turn there? So before I read that scripture, I'm uh, going to quote an Old Testament prophet. Uh, The Old Testament prophet is 38 Special, uh, the rock band from the 70s and 80s. Um, And this is what they said. I don't really think they're a prophet. Um, but they said this in one of their songs. Just hold on loosely and don't let go. But if you hold on too tightly, you're gonna lose control. And the reason that I quote them and say that is because I want you to see this. Even the world gets it. Even they understand it. Like if you try to hold on to something and you don't have control over it, or even if you try to hold on to it too much, you're gonna lose it. You're not gonna have it. And that's never God's plan for us. So let's read someone who really knows something. And uh, this, this is in the Bible. So uh, the author wrote this and said this. He said, I admit that I haven't yet acquired the absolute fullness that I'm pursuing. But I run with passion into his abundance so that I may reach the purpose that Jesus Christ has called me to fulfill and wants me to discover. Now that word discover right there, I have to stop and tell you this because this is a nugget that pastor dropped on me years ago and it stuck with me forever. And he was talking to me because you know his kids were trying to make decisions and, and uh, uh, he was talking to his kids about their future and he said, you know, you can never decide what your future is gonna be with God. You have to discover it. Like you may have one plan for something, but God has another plan. We decide, then we're controlling that situation or attempting to control that situation. We discover and we're finding out what God has in store in that situation. 
And so that's what Paul's saying here. He's saying, he wants me, God wants me to discover this. He's called me to fulfill this, and he wants me to discover it. In verse 13, he goes on and says, I don't depend on my own strength to accomplish this. However, I do have one compelling focus. So last weekend, uh, I flew to Seattle for my niece's wedding, and I uh, was gone from uh, Friday through Sunday, and I spent a large majority of that time uh, with some young people. Uh, young people who were getting out of high school and, and trying to decide what they wanted to do. And we talked a lot about this. Um, I was related to most of these young people. Uh, some of them I wasn't. But what they were talking to me about was, you know, how do I decide to what I want to do for a living? You know, what my future looks like. And I said, well, you know, what's in front of you? And so they started with all of it, you know. Well, there's the military. Uh, I could go to college. I could go to trade school. If I go to college, here's like four or five options that I have. If I go to trade school, here's two or three options that I have. And it was so much stuff that these young people were trying to figure out on their own. And I just kind of let them keep talking and talking. And, and finally I said, you know, um, you'll never be able to make that decision and know what your future is going to look like. So you need to meet someone or know someone that you can trust to give you that advice and tell you where to go and what to do that knows what your future looks like. Well, they were super interested in that until I told them it was God. And then they were a little bit uh, not quite as interested after that because now they think, oh, this just this old religious guy, you know, he's a preacher and, and of course, you know, that's what he's going to say or whatever. But you know, I started to point him out, out to them what my life looked like. And my life's not perfect. It's not. But I have discovered what it is that God wants me to do. And because I've discovered that, man, I live in a lot of blessing. He's so good to me. But I'm also in the right place at the right time a lot of times because I've discovered what God's called me to do. And I didn't decide on my own. Right? If I decided on my own, uh, I would be on tour with some rock band right now, um, you know, shredding the bass, doing whatever. Um, sounds ridiculous, doesn't it? It was as ridiculous whenever I was trying to decide what it was I wanted to do. But God had spoken something to my heart. So these young people, you know, they have so many questions because they don't know where to go. They don't know what their future looks like. And even a lot of times as, as Christians, we don't know. We don't know what our future looks like. The same wedding that I went to, um, it was in uh, Seattle, like I, like I said, on Mount Rainier, which is a, a very big, and this time of year, very cold place to be. Um, logically, you should not be having a wedding in March on Mount Rainier. It was, I don't know, it felt like it was 14 below, and the wind was blowing, and we were eating dinner in a tent, you know, after the wedding, it was, um, physically, it was miserable. But I wanted to be there um, for people, for some people in my life. And one of those people being my sister that I love and care for very much. Uh, of course, I wanted to be there to support my niece. And then my daughter and, and son-in-law and grandkids were there. So, you know, that was a bonus too. So um, I had uh, talked myself into the fact that, okay, I'm gonna go and uh, just enjoy the people because I didn't really want to be there. Uh, I don't like Seattle. Uh, I don't like that part of the country. Um, there's mountains an hour away that are just as pretty, in my opinion, uh, that I could go to. 
and the pine smells prettier than all that stuff. And when I got on their mountain, man, it was weird. It was so weird. I sent my wife these pictures. There was like these little, you know, it just felt like witchcraft stuff. They left all these symbols all over the place. And, you know, there were faces and these O's in the middle of the woods. And it was just kind of like, okay, this is very odd and strange. And I, that part of it, I, I don't like that kind of stuff. But I love the people that I went for. So that was my reason for going. So I had my reason for going to this wedding. And so that's what I had decided. But I discovered that there was uh, other reasons that God wanted me to be at that wedding. So I'm gonna set a little back story for you here. Uh, Many of you know, uh, many of you may not know that uh, both of my wife's parents, um, we lost them this year. Exactly seven weeks apart. Her mother had been fighting a... uh, a physical battle, and we lost her to that. And then my father-in-law got sick, and uh, we lost him after that. And my father-in-law's name was Pepe, and um, he was a diesel mechanic, really good one. And what my in-laws brought into my life, I, like I didn't even understand what God was doing uh, when I married my incredible wife. She's so awesome. But with my wife, I got this amazing extended family. Uh, her parents, her sister, her aunt and uncle, cousins. I mean, people that are, they just play such a big role in my life. And my father-in-law was one of those people. Sitting across uh, from this older man, now we're back in Seattle, and I'm sitting across from this older man who happens to be the groom's dad, and I'm talking to him and uh, just kind of getting to know him. I'd found out that he had just started serving God, which was really cool. Uh, so we weren't talking about any of that kind of stuff, we're just talking about sports and what do you do for a living, and so he was kind of filling me in and all that kind of stuff. Well, this young man comes and sits down next to him, who has become like a son to him. They're neighbors. And so this young man comes and sits down, and he, this, I don't, I don't know how else to explain this, but this, this kid, he's a senior in high school now, is like intently hanging on every word that I'm saying, almost to the point to where it's like uncomfortable, you know, where I'm like, okay. What does this guy want? What's the deal here? Um, He's about to try to sell me a timeshare on Mount Rainier because that ain't going over. Like, I ain't buying nothing here. Um, And so I get to talking to this kid, and I just asked him one simple question. What grade are you in? Are you out of high school or are you in high school? This guy unloads his entire life story on me. So a year ago, as a junior in high school, he's playing football, and during his off-season workout, He's lifting, and while he's lifting, he has a stroke. 17-year-old young man, fit. I mean, this kid's fit. I was like, man, I even wish I'd have looked like that when I was 20. This kid's fit. He's working out, and he has a stroke. He goes to the hospital. He has another stroke. He doesn't know my name. He doesn't know what to do for a living. It's nothing like that. He wouldn't try to patronize me. Just a God thing. And he says to me, he said, you know, I've never really like believed in God or done the whole God thing. He's like, but I'm trying now. And I'm just like, okay. And so we talk a little bit more and I'm, so I formally introduced myself. I'm like, what's your name? And he's like, my name is Jose. And I said, oh, my father-in-law's name was Jose. Of course, we called him Pepe. He's like, my friends call me Pepe. And he gets all excited, and so we're talking. And so I said, well, what do you want to do after school? Like, what are you studying to do? And he said, 
I'm studying to be a diesel mechanic. I discovered why God had me there. So I lead this young man to Jesus. Right there. God flew me all the way from warm, beautiful New Mexico to nasty, dirty Seattle for this kid, for this guy. But he also restored something in me. And he helped me. I discovered what God had for me there. Then right after that, I'm, I'm, I'm talking to this girl who I didn't recognize. And this girl had flown to this wedding. This girl used to be in my youth group and I used to be her math teacher back in Portales. As I'm talking to her, I figure out who she is. And I'm like, I'm so sorry, I didn't recognize you. And so we get to talking and she lost her mom to cancer about three years ago. She and her whole family have turned their back on God. And she recommitted her life to Jesus. Now, how awesome is that? Right? But let me tell you something. Before I went on that trip, man, I'm a busy guy. I am. And I know this is going to come across like really selfish, and uh, that's because it probably is. But, you know, a big part of me didn't want to go because I have so much going on. And then my wife had to stay back for work, and, you know, I didn't want to leave her here, of course. Um, and, you know, just other stuff, other circumstances that I was like, man, I don't want to go. But because of the people in my life, I decided to go because I love them. But God had a bigger purpose than that. And when we discover what it is that God has for us, we realize that we don't have to hold on tightly to what we feel like is the thing going on with us. We know when we discover what he has for us that his hand is on it and he's the one holding on to it. Scripture goes on, we're still in the middle of verse 13. And Paul said, I do have one compelling focus. I forget all of the past as I fasten my heart to the future instead. I run straight for the divine invitation of reaching the heavenly goal and gaining the victory prize through the anointing of Jesus. So that's the scripture we read a lot, right? That we focus, that we press on towards the goal that's waiting for us. But we can't press on until we do the first thing that Paul says here in this scripture, and that's let go of what is holding us back. Or let go of what we're holding on to that is behind us. And more times than not, that's the case. That we're holding on to something that's already behind us. We're gripping it tightly because we don't know how to let it go or we don't want to let it go or letting it go is uncomfortable. But Paul says, I let go of the past so I could press on to the future. Amen? And that's what we want to do. And too many times, people get in these situations and they let go of the things that they should be holding on to and they're holding on to the things that they should be letting go of. It amazes me. I talk to so many people that find themselves in, in tricky situations in life or even in bad times in life. And what they share with me is that they have stopped reading their word, 
stopped praying, stopped coming to church, stopped seeking godly counsel. They've let go of all the things they should be holding on to. And the things that they're holding on to is gossiping about the situation, holding unforgiveness towards other people, going to the wrong places and engaging in bad habits, you know, that have held them back before. And so many times that's what they're holding on to. And we have no stones to throw at anyone because we've all found ourselves in the same situation, right? I mean, when something happens in our lives, do we go to God and talk to him about it first? Or do you call your best friend or your mom or your cousin? Who are you talking to first? What, right? So we all know what we just answered in our minds, so we have no stones to throw at anybody. We need to do what Paul did. We need to let go of those things and hold on to what God tells us to hold on to. So what has he told us to hold on to? Turn with me, if you would, to Isaiah chapter 41. I've read this scripture before, but it's never impacted me the same way that it impacted me when I read it this last time. And so many times that's the case with God's word, right? Is that we read something 100 times and the 101st time we read it, we're like, oh, I get it. Or, man, that's so good compared to the other 100 times that I read it. Not that it wasn't good before, but you see something new, right? And that's what the scriptures uh, spoke to me this time. And it's in Isaiah 41, 13, and it says this. For I am the Lord, your God, who takes hold of your right hand and says to you, do not fear, I will help you. Church family, God is literally telling us that he has grabbed our hand. Now, he doesn't grab everybody's hand. He only grabs the hands of people who are in a relationship with him, his children, right? That'd be like uh, me going to your dad and calling him dad. That'd be kind of weird. I've had this nickname for, uh, for Josh Dowdy uh, since he's, he was young, teenager, uh, in the church over at 180, and I uh, started calling him by his last name, Dowdy. So whenever he'd come in, I'd, I'd always tell him, you know, howdy, Dowdy, what's happening? And uh, so this morning he came in, and I said, what's up, Dowdy, how you doing today? Well, whenever I said that, uh, someone in the room was like, what did you call him? And I said, Dowdy, his last name. I've called him that forever. And she's like, oh, that's not what I heard. I said, well, what did you hear? She said, I thought you called him Daddy. <laughs> I said, Josh got all happy. I'm like, boy, don't get it twisted, kid. Do not get that twisted. But that would be weird, right? That'd be like me going to your dad and calling him dad. Why? Because I have no relationship with your dad like that. I don't go to Walgreens and pick up his medication for him. I definitely ain't changing his adult diaper when something goes down. That's y'all's job for your dad, right? Because you have that relationship with him. You're serving him, and he has served you. He has led you. He has provided for you. That's who your dad is in your life, right? And that's who God is in our life. So everyone that God has created doesn't get the privilege of calling him dad. And they don't get the privilege of holding his hand and being led by him as he carries them through the toughest moments in their life. But you do, because you know him. You get that opportunity. So the first thing that the word of God tells us to hold on to is God himself, hold on to his right hand. What does that mean? We hear these, these uh, scriptures all the time. We hear these sayings all the time. You know, uh, trust in the Lord and lean not on your own understanding, right? And he will lead you wherever you go. He will guide you wherever you go. He will take you wherever you're going. He has a future plan for you. We hear these things all the time, but do we really take them seriously? 
Is it something that we're really applying to our life or is it something that just gets us through a, through a moment and doesn't become a part of our habit or our lifestyle? Now, holding on to God's hand is supposed to be something that we do every day. And he's reached out to us. So we're holding on to the one who can control every situation. Now, God's not gonna make everything perfect in our life. That's what I said. God's not gonna make everything perfect in our life. We live in a fallen world and imperfect things are gonna happen around us and to us. Sometimes we invite those things into our life and sometimes we don't. God is our father. He's the God. But if we put him in control of a situation, if we give him permission, if we follow him where we're supposed to be following him, he will take care of those things for us. You know, and we're gonna read a scripture here in a moment. You know what, let's just, let's read that scripture right now. Go with me to uh, Exodus chapter two. And we're gonna look through verses 23 and 25. We're gonna read three different uh, sections in Exodus, but let's read that right now. Verse 23 of verse two, it says, during that long period, the king of Egypt died. The Israelites groaned in their slavery and cried out. And their cry for help because of their slavery went up to God. God heard their groaning and he remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac and with Jacob. So God looked on the Israelites and he was concerned about them. Fast forward to Exodus chapter 12 and verses 40 and 42. And the word of God says this. Now the length of time the Israelite people lived in Egypt in slavery was 430 years. At the end of the 430 years to the very day, all the Lord's divisions fell in Egypt because the Lord kept vigil that night to bring them out of Egypt. On this night, all the Israelites are to keep vigil to honor the Lord and for generations to come. So they cried out to God because they weren't happy that they were in slavery. Whose fault was it that they were in slavery? It was theirs. It was their direct disobedience to God. They're, they're ignoring him and his, his laws that he had told not to serve other gods, not to get involved in certain relationships with certain people. They violated all those things. And because of that, the people ended up in slavery. So they cry out to God for help. And 430 years later, God redeems them. He sets them free. He sends Moses, someone to lead them out. So he leads them out. They get to the desert, and in Exodus chapter 16 and verse 3, the Israelites are complaining to the leaders, to Moses and the other leaders, and it says, the Israelites said, if we, only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There, we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you have brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. So what we see is that they're in the middle of a very bad situation that God didn't put them in the middle of. They ask for his help to get them out, and when they get them out, they wish they could go back. That sounds like the story of our lives, doesn't it? We always want what we can't have or what we don't have or what we think we want. But what's missed in this is that in the middle of them putting themselves in slavery and them being in, a battle of a, in the middle of a bad situation, they never took the time to appreciate that God had provided for them even in the middle of their slavery. Through the Egyptians, God provided. 
food for their bellies, roofs over their head. Did it come with intense labor and horrible things happening? Yes, it did. That was the part that they created. But in the middle of that, God was like, even in the middle of you paying this price and being in the middle of the situation that you've gotten yourself into, I'm still gonna take care of you. And the Israelites didn't appreciate it until they got out into the desert and they're like, oh, well now we wanna go back to the food. And you know what God does there? Now he provides food. He provides manna from heaven. That's the next thing that happened to the Israelites. But the point I wanna make about that is that God was helping them and extending his hand the entire time. Had they been appreciative to God in the middle of what they were dealing with and had they turned back to God, they probably wouldn't have been stuck there for 430 years to begin with. But when they came out, they would have known that God was gonna provide for them in the desert like he did in slavery. They would have already known. Why? Because they would have cared about what he did for them before. That's where we find ourselves a lot of times. Ignoring the fact that God is so well taken care of us when we're in the middle of a big mess. People get so concerned about why they up and end up in a situation, right? They, they think, did the devil put me here? Like, did the devil give me this job to keep me out of church? Did the devil put me in this, you know, relationship? Or did God put me in this job? And I'm just having a hard time with it. Or did I put myself in this job? Maybe it was you and had nothing to do with God or the devil. People get so caught up with thinking about how they get in a situation that they completely forget about the fact that there's somebody waiting for them to take their hand and lead them out of the situation or to help them where they are. Maybe you don't like the person you watch TV with every night that you're sitting on the couch with. I happen to like my, my person a whole lot before I get myself in trouble. Um, I like her a lot. I'm glad that I get to watch TV on the couch with her because I know what it's like to sit on the couch by yourself and watch TV. And that's no fun. So many people have come to me, you know, with, um, you know, I've got to get out of this marriage. This is horrible. You know, it's this thing and it's that thing. And I'm like, man, you need to think about what's around the corner. And some of them would stand up here and testify if they could. That they go ahead and leave that marriage and then they get out. And then they come back to me and they're like, oh, it's so hard being single. It's so hard. And I'm like, I told you before you got out of that other deal. Uh, yeah, that's right. I don't say that to be I told you so. I say that because the next time they get into another situation, they'll appreciate what God has put in their life, right? Let's say that you are in the wrong job or that you're in a place where God doesn't want you to be. Is he still providing for you in the middle of that job? Like, isn't it amazing how we lose fact of, of when we get off track, when we, we, we start going down the wrong road and God takes care of us? Isn't it amazing how we forget how he's taking care of us? So let's appreciate that and let go of all that stuff so that God can lead us to a new place. Whether it's in the middle of the same situation we're in and our perspective changes or perhaps he's gonna move us out of that situation. And I'm not talking about your marriages here. Right? That's not what I'm talking about. So, let's let go. And then we have to hold on. The second thing the Word of God tells us to hold on to is found in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 15. And I'm almost done. And this is what the Word of God says there. So then, dear family, 
Stand firm with a masterful grip of the teachings we gave you, either by word of mouth or by letter. The second thing that that we're supposed to hold on to is the word of God and its teachings. Now, this is where we discover, and in these teachings and in the word of God, and in our daily time of spending time with them, we find out what our responsibilities, what our privileges, what our relationships are that we're supposed to hold on to. Because we are supposed to hold on to those things. But how are we supposed to hold on to them? If you don't know how hard you're supposed to hold on to something, just ask yourself this question. Am I holding on to this because I want it to look like I want it to look like? Or am I holding on to this because I want it to look the way God wants it to look? Am I doing this in this situation, in this relationship, in this in this thing that I'm in the middle of? Am I doing this so it'll just turn out the way that I want it to be? Or is the way that I want it to be the way that God wants it to be? And then you'll know if you're holding on to something too tightly. You know, if you hold on to something too tightly, you actually can't lift as much of it. There's something called golfer's elbow. And one of the ways that it can develop in someone, you don't have to play golf, um, uh, but it's through anything that uh, you're doing with repetition. There's golfer's elbow and there's tennis elbow. They're, they're a little bit different. I just found out this out this week. And um, honestly, for months, I'd had this pain right in the inside of my elbow right here. Um, and I lift. I lift uh, five days a week. Uh, I enjoy my working out as much as I enjoy eating. Um, sometimes I enjoy eating more than I enjoy working out, uh, but I still make myself do that, right? So the macho thing to say is, and what I told my wife, is my elbow's hurting because I'm lifting too heavy. I'm lifting too much weight, right? And don't get me wrong, I I lift a lot of weight. So in my mind, I was like, yeah, that's the guy thing to say. I'm lifting so much weight that it's hurting me. Come to find out the reason it's hurting me is because I'm gripping the weight too hard. So when I started training with the, with the trainer a few years ago, um, he, he had me buy an $11 piece of equipment that changed the way that you train your arms. And what it is, they're called fat grips. And these fat grips, they're just these big pieces of rubber that have a slit on one side of them, and they slip over barbells and dumbbells. And when you lift with them, it makes it impossible for you to close your hands all the way. Well, I didn't understand why I was doing this. There are some other benefits to me that he told me about. It transfers all the weight to your bicep and to your forearms. And what it does is keeps all the weight out of your tendons and the things that you're hurting. Old school, right? Everybody, old school, lifting weights. Uh, Whenever you curl, you're supposed to pull your hands towards you. That's actually the opposite. Your grip isn't supposed to get stronger. Your grip's supposed to be weaker. When you lift your biceps, you're supposed to leave your hands open this way, right here. Because it moves all the weight to where it's supposed to be working, not to all the accessory pieces that help you. And when you do that, you can actually lift more. And it's the same principle that works in the spirit. That when we don't hold something so tightly because we want to try to do it and we want to try to muscle it and we want to make it happen, and we just hold it the way that we're supposed to hold it, the way that God's instructed us to hold it, the correct way, you can handle more in a situation. 
you can lift more people up. You can help more, bless more, be there more. You can do more because you're doing it the right way. And God is teaching us through his word constantly that we're supposed to let go of the things that we can't control and allow him to take care of those things for us by just holding on to him and holding on to his teachings. Man, we've got to be appreciative to God for what he does. Last scripture I want to read you today is out of Psalm chapter 150 and verse 6. And it says this, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Let everything that has breath. You know, a lot of times we feel like um, that that scripture should read, let everything that has a new car, praise the Lord. Let everything that doesn't have two kids fighting in the back seat for eight hours all the way to Denver, praise the Lord. Let everybody who doesn't have any debt, praise the Lord. No. God's standard for us praising him and appreciating him is the fact that he gave us breath today. The fact that you woke up and that you were able to come here and be with your brothers and sisters in Christ and partake in incredible praise and worship and hear the word of God encourage you and lift you up so that you can lift other people up. See, it all starts with just appreciating the breath that is in your lungs. Once you appreciate what's God's doing, what God's doing for you, then like the Israelites could have done, you can look forward and know that he's just gonna do that again and again and again and again. So I wanna encourage you today, appreciate what God's doing for you. Let go of the stuff that you can't do anything about anyways and let God handle all that for you. He's more than capable. Would you bow your head and close your eyes with me? You know, we talked about God extending his hand and reaching it out and holding the hands of his children. And maybe there are some people in this room that you don't know that relationship. You're not being led by God. You're being led by your emotions or maybe even you're just led by situations that surround you. Or somebody else is leading you. And you're following them blindly and things aren't turning out good in your life. Well, if that's you, I want you to know today that God's got that hand extended. And he's ready to hold you by the right hand and lead you into the life that you've wanted and craved for so long. Maybe at one time you were holding God's hand and something came along in your life that caused you or talked you into letting go of his hand speaking to you today as well. Through the word of God and through what we know, all we have to do is ask him for forgiveness and receive him into our hearts. The Bible puts it plainly. Believe in your heart and confess with your mouth. Believe in your heart that Jesus is who he says he is. Confess with your mouth that he is Lord and you'll be saved. And so, we're all gonna pray together today. Everybody in the room, we're all gonna pray together because you're not alone in this. Not only do you have God, but you have each other to hold on to. And if that's you today, 
and you want to make that decision and you're tired of the way things are going on your own, then I want to lead you in that prayer. The Bible also says to make a public confession before man. So we're not going to stand anybody up or embarrass anybody. You don't have to do that in front of everyone. But the way that we're going to do that today is here in a moment, I'm just going to ask that you lift your hand real quick and put it right back down. Then when we pray that prayer together, you're going to walk out of here and your life can be different. You'll be welcomed to a better life. And so if that's you today and you want to pray, you want to make that decision and you're serious about this, and I'm just going to ask you on the count of three, would you please lift your hand and put it right back down? One, two, three. Thank you, thank you, thank you for those hands. Thank you, thank you for that hand. Thank you, thank you for those hands over there. Anybody else real quick? Looking around the room one last time. And let's pray together. With your heads bowed and eyes closed, please repeat this prayer after me. Dear God, I sit here before you today knowing that I need your help. I know that your hand is extended and I haven't been good at following you. I ask you to forgive me for all the times that I've sinned against you and disobeyed you. And I even ask for forgiveness for the times I didn't realize I was in sin. I was just doing my best. But I know today, my best isn't good enough. But I also know my worst isn't bad enough to hold me back from you. So I ask you to come into my heart today. Jesus, be the Lord of my life. And as you forgive me, I forgive all those who have ever hurt me or done me wrong. I won't judge them because you haven't judged me. Thank you, Jesus. In the mighty name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.